four down territory. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a great show for you today. But before we start things off, I'm not Kiefer Bomber, which begs the question, where in the world is Kiefer Bomber? California. So you know where in California? He's on Endor from Star Wars. I saw his little Ewok he had. They brought him along on the trip. Cute Ewok. <laughs> but, Weird uh, looking Ewok. <laughs> Are you talking about Obi? Yes. <laughs> Obi Jin. But anyway, listeners, Kiefer is out this week. He's on a road trip. Coast to coast, meaning Iowa to California, not the East Coast, the Midwest to the West. Uh, Kiefer and uh, his fiancée, Grace Metz, they're on a road trip in an RV. So in the wake of Kiefer's absence, we've brought on a guest host this week. Ayo. <laughs> Gage Miskevin. Gage, thank you a ton for coming on the podcast today. Uh, for our listeners that don't already know who you are, can you kind of give a background on what you do, what you've done in the past? Yeah, so I'm the Marion Lynn County reporter uh, for Cedar Rapids Gazette. Um, I just started in this position, um, grew up in Marion, so returning home to cover my community. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been good so far, for sure. Also for our listeners too, uh, Gage was the editor-in-chief of the Daily Iowan, or, and in doing so, he was my boss and Pete's boss. And Hank, being a friend of the DI, one could say potential worker here and there, you never know, we all uh, kind of uh, went through college together. Mm-hmm. I was good just PR guy for a long time. He needs the PR. Yeah, might be again someday. Who knows? <laughs> I always do. Um, yeah, no, but yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Um, it's really great to be able to fill in for the goat of radio voices, Kiefer. My voice is nowhere near as uh, great as Kiefer's, but, um, you know, we're, we're trying out here. No, you're doing great. Uh, Gage, where can our listeners find you on social media? Well, my Twitter now is just my first and last name. So um, if people have a pen nearby, that's uh, Gage, G-A-G-E, uh, Miskimen, M-I-S-K-I-M-E-N. Um, most people probably can't just spell that. Yeah, just at Gage Miskiven on Twitter. Um, that's really it. Do you guys throw out your TikToks on here so people can send <laughs> people can send me funny TikToks at just at Gage Misky, M I S K Y. Um, I'll send you tons of memes. Um, it'll be great. You know, that's 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 the new platform that we all need that we're all getting on as journalists these days. But yeah, Gage, thank you for hopping on the pod. I know, like I said at the beginning of the show, we've got a jam-packed episode for our listeners. We want to talk a little bit about the NBA bubble, uh, some NFL stuff. But first, we want to get into a report that came out about Iowa football. Hawkeye Nation's Rob Howe put out a special report a couple days ago. It was about the athletic department. There was a study conducted that showed there was racial bias in Iowa football, and the team knew about it as early as... 2019. And while it isn't necessarily breaking news, because this did happen, you know, the report came out a while ago, it still has some information that's like pretty critical to, you know, the recent um, discussions around Iowa football. Um, I know there are people complaining that this report was pointless because this was all information that people had heard about earlier, but Rob was able to get a hold of the documents and specifically revealed a lot of details and again while it's not necessarily things that happened like last week 
or it's not in connection to this current investigation with Hush Blackwell out of Kansas City, that law firm, this athletic department study, it's very important in terms of context to the situation now um, because supposedly this was all new information to the university when players were coming out and tweeting, expressing their grievances with the program regards to racial bias, things of that nature. And again, this report showed that the university and the football team and the staff was very well made aware of these allegations at the beginning of the year. Touching off of that, I think, I think it's just my, my reaction to it when I read the article was, again, it's hard to say. A lot of people are trying to throw Rob Powell under the bus right now, um, which I don't think is right. But it was a little bit surprising to me to, to, to see that, that it was already like something that was known about. And uh, specifically, there was a, a part in the article I can remember reading um, where they were talking about how like the athletic department had just kind of accepted that black athletes don't like Iowa. They like it less than uh, white athletes do, which to me was like a little bit damning, like that they didn't have this sort of like forethought that they weren't like making Iowa like a more, like just an easier place for, for these athletes to come into and to thrive. Um, They just kind of had this, this notion in their head that black athletes just don't like Iowa city. Yeah. And I I think that's a really good point, Hank, that you make. Um, I think in the past, it was sort of seen as if you had, any grievances with the program racial like grievances about racial bias or anything for that matter. It's kind of, okay, it is what it is. Um, This is the program, not necessarily as inclusive as others or as the team sort of presents itself in the public sphere. I think there was one, I got the quote pulled up uh, this one part where uh, white student athletes were being described as like coming from a two parent home, good upbringing, smart, tough, talented, and then in contrast, uh, black student athletes were tough upbringing, at risk. It's sort of those little, I don't know if microaggressions is the correct word for that. Um, but it's, that sort of stuff obviously adds up over time and it creates this sort of culture where uh, not everyone is comfortable in the Iowa football program. And one thing I saw from that that I am just curious about it kind of mentioned some uh, perceived power differentials between athletes and and coaches and how that kind of impacted communication in a bad way. I'm curious as to how much of that involved Chris Doyle. And obviously Brian Ferentz was one of these uh, people mentioned by a few former athletes. But with Doyle gone now, I'm curious to see if that's the main reason, if it does change in a positive way or not. I think a lot of people didn't realize that Chris Doyle's title was executive director of football or football operations. And so a lot of that sort of the power structure, like you were saying, a ton of that, like, isn't necessarily, I don't want to say public knowledge because it is, but it's a lot of things that people don't necessarily realize at first. You think Kirk Ferentz, you think he controls everything if you're just a general fan surface level, but there's definitely a little, I would say almost like a pyramid where certain guys control certain things and it's sort of a trickle-down effect from there. Obviously, Chris Doyle has a a huge hand in this article, uh, but I think uh, we'd be probably uh, 
very much overstating it, it to say that Chris Doyle is, is probably the only one that's being uh, alluded to in this article. And this might just be rehashing some things, but uh, whether the rest of the coaching staff was just complicit to it or if they, they were involved uh, still kind of remains to be seen. And we won't really know for sure the extent of the involvement until the end of the investigation. Um, but it is certainly interesting to speculate about uh, at this moment in time. Again, this story by Rob Howe, this article he wrote, the report he obtained, that's all very important when it comes to contextualizing the current situation. Um, but again, that report that came out from 2019 or from the beginning of 2019 calendar year, I don't necessarily think that's going to sway the current investigation or really have any sort of effect on the program now. Again, it's the current investigation now that's going to be the big deciding factor in all of this. Exactly, Adam. One of the things that comes to mind, and people have talked about this before, obviously, so it's nothing new, is, you know, regardless of if some coaches weren't aware of this or claim they weren't aware of what's going on, in leadership, like, you always know what's going on in your house, like, with your family, with your team, with your staff, whatever. And if you don't, then you kind of have to question, like, what kind of leader are you if you don't know what's happening in your own backyard? When, you have, when you're bringing a bunch of people together from different back, backgrounds, you know, sports teams are obviously the prime example of that. Um, you got to make that, <laughs> make that house a home for everybody. And that's just an obvious thing to say. Um, it doesn't really necessarily add anything to the conversation, but that's how silly uh, this kind of is, is. You know, these things should be obvious things or they're not. But, yeah, it just comes down to the leadership. You know, everyone talks about, like, athletes needing to take accountability for their actions. But, you know, we've all played sports. Like, coaches have told us you got to take accountability for your actions. But then who's holding coaches accountable for theirs or lack thereof? So, I mean, that's what it really comes down to is just these adults are trying to make young adults into leaders and trying to be examples and telling them to have good leadership and be leaders on campus, be leaders in the community. But, you know, they got to be setting those examples themselves. Gage, when you bring up that point about, I guess, accountability, I think that's something that people need to take note of um, because it starts from the top. There's a quote from Gary Barta when he was announcing the separation agreement between Chris Doyle and the University of Iowa. He was asked if he had seen any of these actions take place, and here's his response. I've been in the weight room, but I don't ever remember being in there when it was active with, with working out. That's not... Um, you know, I, I try to go to practice during the fall about once a week. I don't always make it. Um, I do travel with the team. Uh, spring ball, I might make it to one or two practices. And to answer your question directly, did I ever see anything that raised a flag as it pertains to this? The answer is no. The thing that surprises me is that Gary Barta had never been in the weight room during a lift with Chris Doyle in there. I get that you can't be in all places at once, you know, I'm sure his name has been thrown around before, especially in this report that Rob Howe had, obviously it didn't name names, but I'm sure these student athletes named people when they were going through and sort of reporting these actions. I just think it's a little disheartening that the athletic director who, you know, claims to oversee everything didn't go investigate for himself or actually, you know, put himself in that situation to see what's going on. To me, that just is kind of a red flag. And, 
that sort of power and accountability starts from the top down. If you have your athletic director who's not necessarily being as diligent as he could be in terms of fully investigating these claims or even just being around himself to check things out, I think that accountability sort of gets lost along the way. And thus you have things like Chris Doyle and his situation, along with these other allegations popping up. I completely agree with that, Adam. Kind of really just astounding to hear because I hadn't heard that part of it. Um, And then also touching on what Gage said, uh, you think, especially with a guy like Kirk Ferentz, like I feel like, you know, Chris Doyle, whatever his title was, executive, whatever, Kirk is ultimately like he's the head coach. And I think a guy like Kirk Ferentz oversees just about everything in the Iowa program. So for him not to know about this, I mean, he worked with Chris Doyle for 20 plus years. It's just hard to believe. It's hard, hard to believe that Ferentz would just have no knowledge of this for, for as long as he worked with Chris Doyle. Um, and for as much as a, like Kirk just seems to be involved with the program every step of the way. So um, for him not to be involved, not in the weight room, uh, obviously he's not going to be in the weight room every single day, but I mean, it's just surprising to me that, that that would be uh, the way that it would be phrased. So uh, I, th- I think accountability uh, is the main theme here with this, uh, with this Iowa report from, from the top down. And I, I just don't think that there's enough of it right now. And, and I'm hoping once this report comes out that, that, that people will finally uh, start and not just um, Kirk Ferentz and, and Gary Barta hold themselves accountable, but, but Iowa Hawkeye fans hold those two accountable because I, I see a lot of people right now wanting to turn a blind eye to it, um, which to me, it, it just seems a little bit ignorant. Again, take that with a grain of salt. I'm, I'm not an Iowan. I haven't lived here my whole life. Obviously, um, fans of the program know Kirk Ferentz a lot better than, than I know Kirk Ferentz. Gage, you interviewed Kirk, so you can speak a little bit to to Kirk's character, uh, maybe a bit more than I can. But it, it just it just seems to me that fans like don't want to see something that is almost inevitably going to come out. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I sat down with him a couple of years ago for forty five minutes, so I didn't really like know the guy, but. Um... But in terms of the fan base, I mean, it, it really does take the fan base to hold everyone accountable as well, and Iowans ourselves to hold that accountable because this whole thing just screams that, quote-unquote, Iowa nice, which is very passive, aggressive. You know, we won't say it to your face, but as soon as you, <laughs> you turn your back, we're going to talk. And, you know, I think this really plays into that. I mean, you know, Iowa football fans as a whole, you know, I grew up a Hawkeye fan. Um, so I've I've seen and experienced what the base is like. You know, we hold up white athletes to a higher standard than black athletes, and then that's just obvious. Obvious point is that's not right. At the end of the day, these these athletes are more than athletes. I mean, they're all young men trying to get <laughs> college degrees and you know better themselves and get out and get careers after college, whether that's the NFL or something in engineering or become doctors or, you know, all these guys have, have goals and their lives are bigger than football. But the biggest part of their lives during that four years is football. So you really have to make that, those facilities and that environment 
as welcoming as you can because that's going to change their outlook on not only Iowa football, but Iowa as a whole. And like you said, bottom line is the most important part is making Iowa City, the Iowa football program, everything in Iowa as welcoming and inclusive as you can. It's almost like Iowa football has been in its own bubble right now with not knowing everything that's going on. And there's another pretty popular bubble in the country right now. And I'm talking about the NBA bubble in Orlando, Florida. Basketball is back. That is a fantastic transition, Peter. Thank you. 10 out of 10. Basketball is back, kind of. Yeah, definitely definitely some interesting things happening in the bubble right now. Obviously, last week, Rashawn Holmes not being able to join the Kings because he <laughs> ordered DoorDash after Kelly Oubre's tweet. Um, Pete, I know you said you'd break the bubble for Wings. I would 100%, no questions asked, leave the bubble to get Wings. Rashawn Holmes is not a bad guy for wanting Wings. He deserves to be reinstated. No quarantine. I don't care how unsafe it is. Just kidding. That's not true. I do care how unsafe it is. <laughs> but let the man eat wings. So let me ask you this. Is there a certain type of wings or a certain company's wings that you would not break the bubble for? Have you ever heard of bad wings, Adam? Yes. No, is the correct answer. <laughs> to turn this question around, I would not hesitate to leave for B-dubs or Jethro's wings. Okay. What about... Buffaloes. Buffalo. Oh, I would leave in an instant. Okay. What about brothers? <laughs> Are they 25 cents? Yeah. Yeah, I'm out. They're 25 cents and you're making millions of dollars playing basketball. You can afford better food than crunchy bar wings where sometimes you order boneless and a bone gets in there, but you would still you'd still splurge on the 25 cent wings. But are there dollar twenty five? That's what I was gonna say. Are there dollar twenty five highlights? Because in that case, I don't know. I feel like that's something that's right up Kawhi Leonard's alley too. Oh. I feel like he would he would one hundred percent do that. Boardman gets wings. He also seems like a Miller High Life guy. Wingstop coupons. He would get Wingstop wings <laughs> with coupons. There's a little NBA action. Yeah, bold, bold. George and Kawhi. Yeah, some Kawhi threes going on. Jokic running the point. With Bull Bull and what Pete said, Jokic running the point. The Nuggets threw out a huge lineup. Nikola Jokic ran the point. Jeremy Grant ran the two guard. Bull Bull played the three. Paul Millsap at the four. And Mason Plumley at the five. So the, the heights across that lineup, seven foot, six eight, seven two, six seven, six eleven. That's Daryl Morey's worst nightmare. Versus P.J. Tucker at the five. Yeah, it was the anti-Daryl Morey. That sounds like something Kiefer and I did in a 2K like two years ago. We got all the tallest people in NBA history on one team against the shortest people in NBA history <laughs> on the other team. Who won? Who, yeah. <laughs> who was on it? No, who, who won? won? I think the tall guys. <laughs> Honestly, I... I would take the little guys. I'd take the speed with that, and I'd just run the break. i run the break because, you yeah, know. You can just have, like, Yao Ming in the post just bodying up Muggsy Bogues. <laughs> Who were the short guys on that roster? Was it, like, Spud Webb, Bogues? 
Spud Webb, Muggsy Boge. I think Nate Robinson made the cut. You had Yao, Sean Bradley, I assume, was mm-hmm. on that team. <laughs> um, who else? Uh, there's a guy. Uh, Mark Eaton. Was Mark Eaton on that team? Is that the guy's name? I think. He was like 7-5 or something like I, that. I think he was on it, but that's not who I'm thinking of. I, I think if Manute Bull is on a historic team, he was on it. Yeah, I was going to say he'd probably be on it too. But that's just interesting for us to sit here and like guess like the five tallest in the yeah. <laughs> NBA players in history. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to think of what else with the bubble. So obviously there was Manute or Manute. There's Bull Bull. Um, we had that, a little Clippers magic action. There's that lady that tweeted that she already got invited to the bubble literally the day it started. <laughs> yeah, it was like. Uh, I think it was maybe last week or something like that. But, uh, yeah, some gamer girl started tweeting that she already got a bubble invite. Who who quote tweeted it? And it was, like, at Donovan Mitchell's. <laughs> oh, man. Obama, I think. Yeah, at Spidey Mitchell's already wilding or something like that. What are the Raptors getting up to in the bubble gauge? I don't even know when they have their first. Because we're in exhibition games right now, right? Yes. The regular season does not start until July 30th. The 30th. Yes, correct. Yeah, and the Raptors, I think, first like actual game is August 1st, probably. Yeah, August 1st against the Lakers. That's NBA Finals preview right there. Oh, I was going to ask. So how, how much faith do you have in your Raptors? Um, I mean, I think – God, this is so bad. I'm wearing my Raptors snap back right now. Um. <laughs> I think they can still make a run. I mean, the team's been really solid for as much as an NBA season as we, we got before uh, the pandemic happened. But, um, you know, Siakam's been holding it down. You know, I think we can make a run in the East. Um, I think, you know, playing Lakers in a seven-game series in the finals would be uh, – you know, I think we could win a couple games there. But uh, <laughs> I don't know if they'd be – I think they, I think they could make it to the finals is what I'm saying. Eastern Conference Finals would be a little tricky, mm-hmm. depending on who's there. But the first few series should be okay, depending on how seeding works out at the end. I want to ask you about a couple specific teams in the East that might be a little bit tough to deal with. Um, sure. also, also want to ask you, which Raptors do you think show up? Is it the Raptors from a year ago, or is it the classic playoff Raptors that <laughs> we know and love? But how do you think? How do you think they fare against the specifically the Sixers and and the, uh, the MVP Giannis Antetokounmpo and his Bucks? I think the Raptors can beat the Sixers in this series. Um, the Bucks, I think that. I mean, just last year, even I was nervous more about the Bucks and the Ra- and then the Sixers, of course. But um, yeah, I still feel the same way. Same way this year, we don't have Kawhi being able to clutch some shots. So the Sixers will be a little bit tougher. But Siakam's grown a lot, too, and especially having quiet that last year, you saw Siakam grow into really a role player, and now he's the star of the team. So, yeah, I'd say they beat the – I'd say they could beat the Sixers in, in six. And uh, Bucks, I could see going a full, full seven. I'm also curious about – because you mentioned a bunch of names there. Who are your, your favorite Raptors of all time? Of all time? Yeah, give me your, give me your top five. I'm oh my God. Spot. Okay. Um, 
<laughs> number one, just because of the, just because of uh, all the work he put in for us in a short amount of time, I'd have to probably say Kawhi Leonard. I'll give him that credit. He brought he brought a championship to the city. So, uh, um, he, you know what? He gets number one. Number two for me is uh, DeRozan. It was very sad with with the sacrifice of DeRozan. We got the gain of Kawhi. Um, so I got to give DeRozan some respect. Put him at number two. Number number three, um, obviously the classic Vince Carter, probably you know in in theory the most iconic Raptor of all time, but the greatest not necessarily. Um, number four, I would have to say Kyle Lowry because that man's just been holding it down for Toronto for so long. Lost his best friend in the struggle, and still got to bring a championship home to the city. And uh, I, number five. Can uh, I guess number five? Yeah, go ahead. Is it Bargnani? Nah, bro. <laughs> I, I have to give it to uh, Scrappy uh, Van Fleet. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm concerned that Drake wasn't in your top five. Oh, that's true. I don't. Do we count him as the official ambassador? Oh, he was in Golden State's head in the finals. Like that's the reason why Toronto won. Yeah, I mean, Drake's obviously the X factor of the team. But in, in that case, you know, I could throw Nick Nurse in there, too, as a top five Raptor. So. True. No, no Chris Bosh, though, right? Nah. No? I almost put a Baca in there. Oh. If I was going to buy a Raptors jersey today, I'd probably get in a Baca jersey. What about Bismack Biombo? Yo, I miss Biombo. That was those were good times when he was around. We were making like first round playoff runs. <laughs> Literally, I remember when I think of Biombo, I think of I think they were playing the Heat, maybe, and it was a LeBron James team. I thought it might have been the Cavs, but it was this one sequence where he just stuffed somebody on one end, runs the break, and then throws on a dunk. And Toronto, the whole crowd is just losing it. Like, Biombo is one of those guys that was fun to watch. He may not have been necessarily <laughs> a starting center on, like, a championship-caliber team, but, no. like, that dude played with energy, and he had a motor on defense. Yeah, I mean, he had a great couple of years like that where he was just making plays, and, you know, everyone would be, like, on the announcement, would be like, Biombo, you know. So, <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I almost forgot about him until you mentioned that. I did want to ask, when you mentioned the whole thing of – sacrificing DeRozan for the championship. Now, like, almost a year removed from that. How do you sort of grade that trade, or what are your thoughts on that? So there's a couple different grades I could possibly give this. So the A-plus scenario is if, you know, the NBA season gets canceled again, and we continue to be the defending champions through next year as well, because nobody else gets a chance. Um, Maybe the pandemic ends all of us, and then we're the last ever NBA champions. So in that case, A plus, you've got to make the sacrifice there because it doesn't matter. Otherwise, I'd give it like a good B. I mean, we got to get another, we got to get another like solid top tier player to really be contenders into the near future, like consistently. I mean, the West is still loaded up in ways, and soon the Warriors will be back once everyone's fully healthy. And they'll be back contending as well. So that West is going to be just like a new chaos. team, like a new look young team too. Like a young, like they have Curry and Thompson as veterans and Green as a veteran, but they're going to have a top draft pick this year, and then they're going to have yeah. uh, Andrew Wiggins too 
which is just like that. That team's going to be scary again soon, which absolutely terrifies me. That is true. The thing is with Siakam though, like he got such good experience last year, and I don't know if he could necessarily be like the guy on a championship team, but he proved to be the Robin on a team with Kawhi last year. That was a perfect fit between the two, especially with how the NBA game is sort of moving to that you know, small ball lineup where they would, you know, you can get away with running Siakam, who's not necessarily tall in NBA standards, running him at the five. He's an extra excellent stretch player. Um, and his, his game has just totally been revamped these past few years. I think he's going to be that guy that if Toronto makes a run in the playoffs, you're going to be looking at him. Obviously, I think, I think the Raptors have a very, very balanced team, which is what's good going for them into this playoffs. My question is just that star power. Kawhi's not there. They don't have that guy. Yeah. I, and I mean, and I mean, last year they had, and, and still this year, I mean, they still have the depth. Um, I mean, last year, you know, we had Norman Powell on top of that. Fred Van Fleet, like I mentioned, could come in and actually be clutch. Terrence um, Davis how, now. Yeah. Terrence Davis. How many, like how many backup quote unquote backup point guards in the league can you really say are like, clutch players like Fred Van Fleet. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yes, that's my bias opinion because I'm a Raptors fan, but I really can't name another team with a clutch backup. Point guard. Um, do you think if they hadn't pulled the trigger on the Kawhi trade last season, how do you think they would have competed in the East? Uh, and do you think Sayakam grows as much as he does if DeRozan is still the, the main guy in Toronto? You know, without Kawhi there, I, I think they would have kind of been the same Raptors, they've been in the playoffs. I mean, Kawhi brought that spark. Nick Nurse brought that spark too, of course. But, I mean, you, we, the Raptors probably would have lost to the Sixers in that series. I mean, you needed Kawhi for that shot, obviously, but also just the, just the overall, how Kawhi took, took those series into his hands and he was scoring dozens on dozens of points every game in a way that I don't think DeRozan would have been able to do. Um, Kyle Lowry wouldn't have been able to do that long-term um, and Siakam probably wouldn't have gotten the chance to grow as much. What was the second part of that question? Uh, oh, I, I was. Do you think Siakam grows the same? Um, that's hard to tell. Um, maybe, maybe even more so. I don't know because, I mean, having DeRozan versus Kawhi on your team, DeRozan's not going to take over a game in the way that Kawhi does. Mm-hmm. So it might have given Siakam even more of a chance to to grow. But I mean, I don't know. Everything happens for a reason, right? Yeah. We got the chips uh, and the dip, so that's all that matters. <laughs> uh, you mentioned your, your top five uh, Raptors earlier. Uh, you put number one uh, was Kawhi. Yeah. Hypothetically, what if Kawhi pushed to buy the Raptors, you know, 10, 15 years down the line, not unlike KG is pushing to buy the Timberwolves right what, what about it? <laughs> Your transition is that. Yeah, yeah. What What would you think? What, what What would you What would you say to that? I mean, I don't ever see Kawhi ever like owning an NBA team. He doesn't talk to anybody, so. Not unless there's <laughs> coupons that the team can be purchased with. <laughs> That's a good. One. Anyhow, Gage mentioned it. I mentioned it. Um, Kevin Garnett is is pushing to buy the Minnesota Timberwolves right now. Uh, it's a, a very interesting situation. People in Minnesota 
are kind of on board with it, are kind of not on board with it. Uh, I don't know, man. I don't think people from Minnesota even like the Timberwolves or care about basketball. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I'd really – honestly, I'd love to see KG own, own the Wolves. I just love KG in general. He's a, he's a cool cat in my book. T-Wolves, Kevin Garnett was my mm-hmm. favorite player. And as someone who owned a blue KG T-Wolves jersey – when I was like seven or six, mm-hmm. I was young. I fully support this. Honestly, the franchise has screwed over KG since he has been with the Timberwolves back when he came in 2015, uh, when he was reunited with the team. Uh, they were talking about where Glenn Taylor and Garnett had talked about this thing of when, you know, it's all said and done, KG is going to be part of that ownership group that takes over. But then, you know, that was kind of before Flip Saunders died. And once Flip Saunders passed away, Taylor pretty much went back on his word. And Garnett was obviously not a part of that group. And so I think now if the Timberwolves want to salvage, like if Glenn Taylor wants to salvage his, salvage his relationship with the community, because I guarantee you those Timberwolves fans, they're all very upfront that he did KG dirty and he's the franchise's best player. I think yeah. – if Glenn Taylor wants to make things right, sell the team to KG. 100% agree with that, Adam. Um, and then you also get the interesting matchup of the two-player-owned teams. Uh, you get MJ's shitty Hornets versus uh, KG's less shitty Timberwolves, which will be an interesting matchup. But here's the question. Who do we think is going to be the next NBA player to own a franchise? Smush Parker. I think there's a <laughs> – oh, my God. I love that name, Smush Parker. I think there's an obvious answer there. I think LeBron James is bound to own an NBA team at some point down the line. And we were talking about this uh, yesterday when we were planning this meeting, but Adam had mentioned what if he had owned the Cavs, and then I painted the scenario – uh, which I think is by far more interesting. He already owns the Knicks uh, in more ways than one. But I feel like James Dolan's character is so up in the air that the NBA could very easily create a scenario where James Dolan would be forced to sell the New York Knicks. And if they did it at a time where LeBron James is ready to buy a team, I think you'd 100% see LeBron James owning the New York Knicks for real. And that would, in my eyes, and Adam mentioned it yesterday too, that would create almost an immediate interest in the New York Knicks that from players that just doesn't seem to exist at all in the last like 10 to 15 years. Not since Carmelo and Amari Stoudemire. Those were the last two players that actually like star players that wanted to play in New York, they still couldn't get the big fishes. Like, they couldn't get LeBron. They couldn't get Wade. They couldn't get Bosh. And there was interest from LeBron in signing in New York. There has been, I think, in both occasions, both in 2010 and when he left uh, Cleveland in 2018, 2019. Um, So um, it's definitely something interesting to think about. I would – I personally would love to see LeBron James own the New York Knicks. But that raises the question, if LeBron does own the Knicks, who would 
win the the a triple threat match. LeBron and the Knicks, KG and the T Wolves, or MJ and the Hornets. Is it an elimination triple threat match, or is it first guy to pin somebody? Let's go East um, Well, I think uh, the Hornets are the first ones out, right? Mm-hmm. Just as a like a team. Like I don't know. Like if the owners are suiting up, maybe it's a different conversation that we're having. Because obviously, you know, Gage would agree with this, but Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time. You know, so clearly he's going to make an impact right away. <laughs> okay. Okay. To- hold on. Hold on. We we don't need to bring the bias of the Last Dance propaganda movie into this conversation. Now streaming on that. That's as far as I'm going <laughs> to as far as I'm gonna, we're not gonna get the MJ debate. That's a whole different <laughs> debate. Gage is gonna come on the show um, in the near future, and uh, we do have some discrepancies with his top ten list with NBA players. All right, so uh, Pete, you mentioned triple threat match. I know they don't do triple threats in MMA, but what if we just put KG, LeBron, and Michael Jordan in the octagon? and let the three of them go at each other. What do you think happens there, Gage? You're obviously the expert in this situation. So the question is MJ versus KG versus uh, who else? LeBron? Uh, I don't know. That's hard. I don't even know. It's not MJ. That's for sure. I'm between KG and LeBron. If we're talking people swinging, bro, at current ages too, like right now today, you guys are looking at me like I'm crazy for not saying it's not MJ. No, no. But if we're talking current Kurt, Kurt I, I, age where they are now, it's going to be LeBron or KG for sure. Honestly, I, I agree. I agree. I think it's LeBron. Honestly, like I just like the way that he's built. Like I just think that there's no way that LeBron isn't the guy that that is the winner. I don't know, man. KG I, just has something, just something about him, bro. Kevin oh, Garnett but is different. Kevin Garnett is different. Yeah, dude. He he headbutts basketball hoops. But his but his knees are a big question. He yeah, also has a don't need them. and height advantage. It's not basketball. Don't need the knees. Don't need them. You don't need your knees in MMA? Not necessarily. A lot of guys have fought with torn ACLs before. Honestly, Connor I just think LeBron would go for the knees immediately, though. I feel like Maybe. LeBron's making a, 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 a strategy. Like, I feel like LeBron's sitting down. K- KG's reach has to be longer than Bron's, too, though, right? Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, man. You get them just toe-to-toe. That jab from KG, and he just comes around with the swing. I don't know, man. He could probably clock Braun. I mean, the height difference is only like three to four inches, though. So, I mean, it's not substantial. Yeah. Fair. I mean, it would be, it'd be a tough call. I just know plus, it's not going to be MJ. Plus, LeBron's got the, the weight advantage by a lot, I feel like, over KG. That's true. That's true. We've been talking about basketball for a long time, though. Maybe we should get into a little bit of the – NFL. Uh, we've been doing big bet the last two weeks. I know in passing very shortly, I mentioned we started doing our big bet segment last week. And I said, if the NFL season happens, and now uh, maybe I jinxed it a little bit because NFL players have since started tweeting about the season kind of being like, they're very much in the dark about a lot of things right now. They don't know how health and safety is going to work. Like key things that they should know and they're just not a part of, um, which to me is a little bit scary. Makes me a little bit weary of whether or not we're going to see 
uh, an actual NFL season take place. I think ultimately we will. Um, what shape that takes will be very, very interesting to see. Obviously, J.J. Watt is a big voice in this right now, but what are your guys' thoughts on that? The thing is, there's still time to figure things out, which can only benefit the league and its players. And while they should be in on the, a, a conversation right now, there's still too much time to say there won't be football right now. I'm still confident there's going to be a, a season. I'm very hopeful about it, and I would cry if there wasn't. But maybe I'm a little biased, but I still think there will be. Even if there's no preseason games, I think they're going to be fine. I think the biggest thing is – the, uh, no a training camp in preseason, though, because that's where guys who are undrafted free agents make all of their uh, moves, all of their time. So it's going to be really difficult for those guys to kind of break into the uh, league if those things don't happen. Uh, yeah, I know, I know you would be super upset if a Colts 12-4 and in division win season did not happen. You're right. Uh, especially a season where they're, they're, they're competitive. So – um, fingers crossed for you, Pete, that this season does happen. Obviously, uh, you know, we want to see them lose to the Patriots in the playoffs. That's just that's just fun viewing for, for everybody. Come the holiday season, you know, that's just – that's a staple, you know, watching the Colts lose to the Patriots. Um, so I would be remiss if we didn't get to see that happen this, I this year. I strongly disagree. But yeah, I think with the – there being no NFL preseason – Again, I get it that it's a time for these rookies and undrafted free agents, these guys to kind of step up and try and make a name for themselves. But also training camp is a prime time for that as well. It could take an adjustment period with having no preseason, but I really think that that's not the end of the world, especially if the end result is we get NFL football. I think maybe there's a route where, I mean, these guys do get a chance to shine though. I mean, just off of the top of my head, I mean, no training camp, no preseason, but you could have something like a second NFL combine where you where you invite these undrafted guys. Like, like maybe each team has a list of undrafted free agents that they want to see, and and the guys that that are like like top one hundred, top one fifty that are mentioned in those lists get invites to like a second combine maybe some kind of uh, uh, scrimmage is happening there. Um, coaches get to go evaluate ta- talent that way. It would be very interesting to see. I don't think there's any plans for it, but I, I really think it, if the NFL was trying to and, and wanted to give these guys a chance to, to see what they're made of, um, that there's definitely an avenue for it. The XFL should still exist. So that would be a very reasonable route, which just makes the XFL folding so much more frustrating. And I wish Kiefer was here to share in my anger and disappointment. Yeah, uh, just one time. Let's go around the horn for 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 Kiefer's sake. Let's get a let's get a good Vince McMahon. Uh, our, our, let's go around the horn really quick. I'll start Vince McMahon. Listen, I personally don't have the beef with him that some people do. You don't have beef with Vince McMahon? Not like, listen, I, I get that an enemy of the pod is an enemy to all, but uh, I'm not, I'm not like, a, like, listen, I can slander, I'll slander Steve Nash, but maybe not Vince McMahon. No. Yet. 
So Vince McMahon is your Steve Nash, is what you're saying. He's literally killing wrestlers. I think we need to get Vince on the show and have him and Henry talk this out because this, this beef is really increasing I'm, at an exponential I'm serious. WWE wrestlers die at like like in their 40s and 50s and they also like end up like unemployed and because the WWE just does not take care of them. Like there's so many like iconic wrestlers from like the 80s and 90s. I, I know this because John Oliver did an episode about it. Um, but like it's it's like insanely sad. Yeah, I mean, when you pump yourself full of steroids for decades at a time, yeah, you're not gonna have very good long term health. So they can't unionize because they're like contracted. They're not like actual like athletes where they get like these ten year like long like salaries. They're like contracted by companies. They're like they're I don't know. I'm trying to think of the word for it. They're like landscapers where you would like hire a landscaper to come and work at your house for a day. That like, that's the way that WWE contracts work. Which <laughs> WWE labor correspondent. Henry yeah, Henry. exactly. <laughs> so I don't know. Vince McMahon. I'll say, it. I'll say it for all four of us, even if you guys don't uh, want to. And I'll say it for Kiefer emphatically. Vince McMahon. So guys, I think that's it. That's the episode. That is episode eight. And you know what? Gage, you did an excellent job filling in for Keeper. It's tough to replace Keeper, but as far as guest hosts go, you've been the best one we've had. So thank you for hopping on the <laughs> podcast this week. Again, for our listeners, where can they find you on social media? Yeah, uh, to follow the work I'm doing uh, in Marion, just as I said before, at Gage Muskimmon, just my first and last name. Um, nothing fancy. No extra letters or numbers or anything like that. Just Gage Muskim and there's only one of me in the world, so I got the ad name. But yeah, that's that's the best place to follow along my work. Sensational. Everyone go follow well, Gage, read his work. What did you say, Pete? I said, well said. <laughs> I appreciate that. All right. Thanks for listening, y'all. Any thoughts as, as to like what if it was Joe and Angie that bought the the Raptors? No, I don't. What are you talking about? You don't know who Joe and Angie are? Oh. You don't know you don't know Joe Mama? I knew Daddy? I was getting set up for something. <laughs>